0: Welcome to the Fargo podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron, and today we're talking about season two, episode seven, entitled "Did You Do This?" No, you no, did it. You did it. Yeah what What's up with that title? Yeah, does it relate to the episode in any way? Like, oh I'm yeah, I mean that's out... essentially
1: uh, Simone and Bear's car ride.
0: Did you do this? No, you did it.
1: Yeah, it's like she's like you know Bear wanted to hang it all on her, she wanted to hang it okay. all on Dodd, and then it turns into. I don't know. And then and there's a similar kind of screens so be... going through Floyd's, uh, you know, she's feeling like she was pushed into this, and it was all the other guy's fault, and I don't know. Alternately
0: titled The Blame Game. Sure. sure. All right. Sure, I can get behind that. Uh, I really like this episode. I like it a lot. Uh, it's funny, but kind of hilarious in parts. Oh, yeah. Uh Really exciting. It moved brisk for a long episode
1: of Fargo. I mean, this is almost an hour's worth of actual screen time, maybe even more. Um, it it moved really briskly. I didn't even know it was an extra long episode till the second watch, and I happened to note on the DVR that it's like what ninety minutes? What the fuck? So
0: that's always
1: yeah. that's always a plus when, <laughs> when it something feel longer like it's feels slow. like it's 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 short.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I also really liked the kind of heartbreaking moments in it. You know, there's some stuff with Betsy in there that just, I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Betsy and Carl. And Mm -hmm. And then the, you know, long, slow pan over the pictures at her dad's house. Like a lot of, a lot of stuff in there that just, you know, makes you, makes you go, oh, that's sad. Yeah.
1: yeah. And typically there's a lot of background detail that you can mine. Like I noticed that Carl was reading to little, um, ah, hell. Molly? Molly, yeah. uh, She's reading a little Molly, uh, The Five Peppers and How They Grew, which is a story um, set Mm. in, I guess, the early 1900s about a mother who's uh, raising five children and the dad dies and she has to raise them all by herself. Okay. So, like, Lou's going to do the gender bender version with a lot less kids. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a a, a cool throwaway detail that shows... um, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I get off on the fact that When you see showrunners thinking about the show in as much obsessive detail as the fans, it feels like there's like this mutual respect. Yeah. And then you get other shows that don't, and it's like a mutual, or it's it's, it's a one way kick in the crotch. So, (laughs) Uh, but no, I feel like that my fandom is rewarded when they do stuff like
0: that. Okay. Speaking of that, there are some big questions I have about this episode. Do we want to I, jump right into them?
1: If that's if that's where the conversation goes, Jim Jones. Okay, so I feel like it's going goes. that way.
0: Uh, I have huge questions about the plot here, like how things have happened, uh, stuff that we saw last episode, how it led to stuff in this episode. So, so let's walk because I think uh, my opening
1: my opening statement is: I think you're supposed to have those questions, and those questions will be answered.
0: And I'm inclined to agree with you. Okay. Uh like I'm, Noah I'm giving them, just forgot how to tell a story. I'm I'm giving them more <laughs> rope and hoping they don't hang themselves. Here okay. Because I have a huge question about how how Peggy and Hank line up here. Like Peggy, and it, Pe- Peggy Ed and Hank. Like this whole thing oh, where Ed okay, is so. Ed at the end of last episode is running to on the his lamb. house. Possibly. I mean we, we, we all know. Really know. If they know where he's going, then we should probably know, and my guess is his house. uh huh uh, this episode, we clearly see that Ed is out and about and he's, he's headed towards Sioux Falls. And crucially,
1: Hank and Lou never have a conversation about it. Like they're yes. not even concerned that Ed's running around. They mention Ed a couple of times, but it's never like, oh, yeah, we fucking forgot to pick him up or. So there's clue number one
0: that something is afoot that we're not. Yeah, it to. seemed like at the end of the last episode, they were headed to his house to intercept him. Uh huh. Has that happened? No. Well,
1: I don't know. Because here's, here's what I think has happened. Okay. We have missed a whole lot of shit where Dodd and Hanzi are trying to f- track down Ed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, the, and and also that Hank and Lou did not track down Ed. Or if they tracked him down, they let him go for some other reason that we, we, we're not privy to. But we know the state of the game at the end of this episode is... Ed has Dodd in his trunk, mm-hmm. or he's claiming he does. And he's sure. been he's been trying to get through to the Gerharts multiple times this episode to tell him, I've got Dodd in the trunk. Yeah,
0: Bear's not hearing it.
1: And Bear doesn't give a shit because he just assumes his brother never comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know that, that Ed eventually does get through to the Gerharts, and his mom, uh, you know, the mom of Gerhart, Floyd, is going to be likely to want to get Dodd back we also know at the end of the episode he calls Mike Milligan. Yeah. That to me implies that there is a double triple cross situation going where the where the Gerhardt said, "Oh, you've got Dodd. Okay. Call this number, tell Mike Milligan you've got him too. And we're going to settle all family business." What I the additional piece of the puzzle is I feel like that the Hank and Lou are also manip, somehow manipulating Ed as well to do their bidding. And for Ed, for his part, this is all he sees. This is the only way out now because he understands that him and Peg are going to be on the run until. That's a lot to run with here. But I feel like dropping it all on the table. These are the pieces, and I don't know how they fit together, but they fit together, and somehow that there's one or two parties trying to engineer a all you know get, get wipe out these two parties so that we can go back to our normal lives.
0: And I think the big reason you're you're guessing that is because ed couldn't possibly know the phone number of mike milligan himself Right. He wouldn't know the Gerhardt's number, he wouldn't know Mike Milligan's number, nothing. Well, he would know the, so the, if he has Dodd, he knows the Gerhardt's number. Yep. How does he get Mike Milligan's number? Well, we are pretty sure that Floyd would probably have that. Yes. And we know that Hanzi's been up to
1: some wet works on South Dakota already with there's a couple state troopers dead, <laughs> another wounded. <laughs> They're Mount Rushmore, sure. So we do know that there is uh you know some action that's happening down there that that we've missed out on. Also the years, a lot of time has passed since the, this is not literally the next day.
0: No, it's got to be a few days. I mean, a funeral arrangement takes Plus a little while. Plus, all the killing
1: that happens with all of the yeah. f- the three lieutenants that of of the Gerhards and all the yeah and bear bear
0: driving to Kansas
1: City, I presume. Yeah, and there's another time lapse where Floyd, during her confession, and she's outlying how the Kansas City syndicate works and how they operate and they move the drugs. Mike is standing before this room full of guys. Yeah. And it time lapses so the room gets less and less full and Mike gets more and more undressed. He starts with a business suit and he ends up, you know, with his coat off, his tie off, his shirt button, a couple unbuttons, his sleeves rolled up, and he's exhausted. And the only one there is the Kitchen Brothers. And I wasn't sure whether that is to show the lapse of time since he started going to war after um, Bulow died mm-hmm. or whether this was his last final 48-hour desperate... You know, trying to get everybody all the muscle he can, and encourage him to go find and and and, and take out the Gerhardt so he can keep his position. And people are just like, "Oh, this is this isn't working. This guy's crazy." Yeah. Uh, the, the Undertaker's coming, and we want no part of it. I, I'm not sure
0: which of those interpretations is correct. Uh, I don't know either. I want to stick with with the Ed thing for a little while longer because Lou and Hank are also mixed up in this, and we touched on it briefly, but we didn't. We didn't talk about it very much. Well, that's So the other thing. there's Lou- some stuff with Peggy where yeah. Lou's like, I, I should have checked on that girl. I think he's, he's got to be talking about Peggy. I can't imagine anything else. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and, and we're pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure anyway, given that they talk about these state troopers who've been shot in South Dakota, that they didn't send Ed on a mission. So it seems to me like there's some missing link between where they were headed last time Uh, in last episode and what ended up happening with ed because they surely would have beat him to his house if that's in fact where he was going they would have intercepted him but if he never arrived there because hansi was on his tail the whole time but he he didn't didn't know that yeah and and how
1: does he evade hansi and how does hansi eventually make himself way to south dakota i mean to me uh, my original theory was that uh peggy was just going to fuck off and go to her conference yeah Ed knows where the conference is, and he'd want to find his wife, so Ed's going to trail her down there, which means Hansi's going to trail. Yeah. I guess that maybe Lou and Hank just assumed he was going to go to his
0: house and chill out, because what else would this guy do? I, I I don't know. But, again, with— I mean, at the very least, he needs to get a vehicle, and it looked like he wasn't in yeah. one of his cars that we knew of Yeah, in this episode. Yeah. Uh, he was in some big-ass, like, Lincoln or something buick i don't know right huge 70s car <laughs> well that's that's dodd's
1: car isn't it is it i thought Dodd I had a know. big big cadillac like that how but honestly so i'm not a 70s his... car guy 70s cars are kind of like the nadir of, of everything automotive. I
0: mean, if that's dodd's car that implies that he went to his house he beat lou and hank there and drove off in dodd's car because that's where dodd's car is at his house i don't know man I I like I said, I don't know how all these pieces
1: fit together, but I think that I've made a I think that I have a rough understanding of where it's going and I feel like that I would not it would not be surprising if next episode is a flashback that catches us up on whether it's a few days or a week yeah, of yeah. missing time and it's exclusively the cat and mouse game between Hansi, Dodd, Ed, Peggy, all that. I will have And will it'll completely answer all our questions and then set yeah. us up for a Titanic
0: two episode bloodbath in and sioux falls if they don't do at least a little bit of backtracking next episode mm-hmm. i'm i'm gonna feel cheated like i don't think they've explained it sufficiently Does that so they have to be need the next to...
1: episode or the next before the finale before the finale okay yeah i, yeah, I, I agree. don't necessarily care i'm the same way yeah. i i but i don't feel like noah holly just forgot to tell a linear you know some kind of linear narrative it's just he's intentionally playing with something so that yeah, because I hope so. I think if if the Gerharts and the Kansas City syndicate and the cops knew everything that is transpiring in this very personal four-person struggle, mm-hmm. maybe the decisions would be different. So Noah Hawley's keeping us in the dark along with Floyd and Lou and Hank and Mike Milligan so that this feels all organic, what happens. The stuff with Simone okay. and Bear, the stuff yeah. with Mike taking out The Undertaker, and then... If you if you if you actually understand the actual state of the game, you'll you would realize that this is all just a fucking tragedy, uh, a comedy of errors, which has kind of been this season. Yeah. I
0: mean, it starts that way. Theater right? The absurd, absurd. like right? That's how Rye dies. It's yes. kind of just accidental. Uh, the, the other thing, though, that is not the tips, its hand a little bit and says this is not just a comedy of errors is Floyd in this episode. It becomes very clear to me very quickly. And I'm thinking this when I'm watching this first episode, when they take her, or this first scene, when they take her into the station, and they're like, Look, really, your only play here is to be a rat. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, rat, I'd never do that. And I'm thinking the police just offered you to do your dirty work for you. And yeah. That's exactly what you should be wanting here. Yeah. And it turns out the smile on her face at the end when they agree to do it says exactly that. That's so what she was. Is she hoping. up
1: to something or is she just pleased that the Kansas City Mafia is going to get theirs at the hands of the law?
0: I think she's pleased with herself uh at roping the cops into her business here. S- Man, snitches never do well in crime dramas. Yeah, I I can't think of a single so, one. So this doesn't I don't know. In my head definition of snitching is snitching on your own crew.
1: Well, like th- but that's no, not no, what no, she's no, 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 doing. In here. the criminal underworld, you do not go to the cops. That's the rule. Okay. You go to the cops, you're a snitch, regardless of who you're snitching on.
0: I guess so. Because that's so. the
1: thing. You snitch once, why, you know, it feels like every transgression, it's a little bit easier to do the next one. So, like, once a snitch, always a snitch. Like, why wouldn't hmm. you? The next time's going to take you slightly less pressure, and for slightly less good reasons. Because she's all wanting, like, I want it on the record that this was a lot. Like, the cops give a shit, or the record gives a shit why a mobster decides to turn state's witness, like. No, I, I feel like that that's, this is kind I think of you're Floyd's, right, but Floyd's dead. Floyd has, has, has walked into the noose by doing, by, by. Well, she was already
0: in the noose is the problem.
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing. Your back's against the wall. You might as yeah. well snitch rather than die. Although there's a lot of probably fictional criminals who would say otherwise. Sure.
0: Maybe so, because
1: uh, I and that's also in stark contrast to the I and the my, my understanding of how the real criminal world works is like it's snitching nonstop, hundred percent all the time. Yeah, it's more like the shield. Yeah, like people turn all the time because there is massive incentive to do so, and very and like unless everybody yeah, I mean carries their weight, everyone who doesn't snitch gets ten times worse. So that's it's the, the romanticized version of yeah, yeah. of the crime families. It's the Godfather, yeah. you know. Old, old world, Cosa yeah. Nostra stuff, yeah.
0: Sure. Uh, but regardless, now Floyd has a police on her side, and that's going to be, a, I guess, a formidable ally?
1: I don't well, I mean, really Lou know. And Hank are like badasses
0: for sure, they are. But, but they're only two men. How many are like, them? You've versus got bins. How many bins. You exactly. <laughs> they're in the mix too. So, I don't know what the South Dakota police force. You're so a real force. shit cop. You know that. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> and Hank just, Hank just laughs uh-huh. like he doesn't even he's like. Right. Well, no, wait
1: a second, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> now he's been waiting for Lou to say that. I think. Well, I'm up for promotion next <laughs> month. So how bad can it be? <laughs> yeah. Good. good <laughs> Minnesota sass. I guess that would be... Well, then your whole the department's incompetent. Yeah. No, well. You know, I I wonder... Because the state of police work in Fargo the first season is a sad, sorry affair. Mm-hmm. Like, you had the one... Other than Molly. And yeah. his sh- the sheriff that got murdered in the first episode. Yes. He yeah. was solid, too. But the, everyone else seemed like a bunch of stumblefucks and,
0: <laughs> uh-huh. you know,
1: guys just collecting their... And g- gals collecting their pension. I wonder if... I don't know. That's one of the things is like Noah Holly's setting out to explain how the, the police and the the northern Midwest got to be the state the sorry state they were in, in in Fargo. Okay. But then again it also ignores Fargo the movie which is part of this universe and mm-hmm. you know, how can you say but but again, wasn't Marge the only cop on her squad who was worth a damn?
0: I felt like it, yeah.
1: So maybe that's the thing. Like you've got like it's the hero's journey that happens every generation. You got one person who rises
0: above and Mm-hmm. their level of average level of incompetence. So many Big Lebowski references in this episode. Were there a bunch? I mean, there were blatant ones. Obvious, like, can, what condition my condition is in played multiple times in the episode. Mm. You know, that's a, a dream I, montage. I heard that there's
1: a ton of Miller's Crossing references, which is, that's the movie I'm going to watch this weekend. I've never seen it, yeah. Yeah, and there's um, someone sent in a bunch of feedback on that, and I'm going to save it till next week so I can talk intelligently about it. But I heard that there, this was a... The, the Full Hammer Miller ep- type of el- episode.
0: Oh, it was Full Hammer ba- Lebowski, too. That head in the toilet bowl shot at oh, the very yeah, beginning. That's true. Yep. I mean, the dude gets his head dunked at the sure. beginning of that movie. What else? Uh, what else there's Mike saying, Sometimes there's a man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that's straight out of the intro for Big Lebowski. Yep. Uh, with Sam Elliott doing that voiceover. Yep. So, like, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, there's some more. Subtle stuff that I don't quite know that I buy, but people are leaning into. But yeah, the Miller Crossing stuff I don't get. Never seen it.
1: What do you think about, you know, Lou so far has been kind of like ta- taking him by surprise, taking him back with his back against the wall. This episode felt like Lou Triumphant, and I felt that Lou Triumphant was just mm-hmm. as awesome as Lou with his back against the wall.
0: Yeah. Like yeah, Lou's when coming to the Gerhards and Milligan's... no one's giving him
1: shit. He's yeah. taking the, the head mama-jama into custody. He's, like, you know, making threats. He's hearing Mike Milligan with his $50 thesaurus reading to him. Mm-hmm. And not getting, like, okay, well, fuck you then. I mean, it's just, I thought it was really awesome to see him just, everybody else around him sweating. And he's he's cool as a cucumber. With, yeah. With good reason. Yeah, he's
0: getting results now. He's okay. calling out
1: Ben. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a fuck.
0: Yeah, so why do you think... I, I have an opinion on this, but why do you think it is that yeah, Bear, when Lou rolls up, is kind of like last stand, or should we make a run for it? Mm. Why do you think it is that he just lets Floyd go? Is in, in my opinion, it's that he can't fight a two two front war here. No, yeah, the just, cops and KC. I feel like
1: both of these outfits have really been drained of their resources. Yeah. And it's it's a bad scene. And he knows.
0: He says this could be our last stand, like right here and now did, did against the cobs.
1: Did you think that Mike Milligan is a similar kind of thing, like this last stand or run when the Undertaker comes to town? Clearly, he made the last stand.
0: This is interesting. Is he
1: delusional? Because he's talking this whole episode about
0: revolutions and revolts. Does he really think he can take over to Kansas City syndicates? I'm I'm curious about that too, especially given like this managing up. Speech that is happening at the beginning, uh, sure. Like, like is is he how planning you manage on your, taking how you over?
1: Man, how you manage your managers, sure. Yeah, I don't know how you could possibly do that. Like, I unless don't he's got this really long Batman type plan of bleeding Kansas City dry. <gasps> and the, but but he's what muscle does he have personally loyal to him? But the one kitchen brother, which I guess that's formidable. But like, just like Dodd and Hanzi can't win a war. I don't think Mike in the kitchen. The, the last remaining Kitchen Brother can win a war. Yeah. Especially so with the Syndicate, because I just feel like they that's got... That's the thing. Like, like, you know, they're devoting a bunch of resources for this region they're trying to take over, but they have tons... Must have tons of resources the way they're organized.
0: I get the impression that that's true. And and they're clearly, like, when they say, Mike, you're done, Uh huh. The, the Undertaker's coming to kill you. And sure. Mike knows it, and yep. they know it. And so when the Undertaker, what, doesn't arrive? Like... Oh, well, guys, I guess the And I that, guess was, the that was the real tension of the phone ringing.
1: Because as soon as that Me phone too. rang, yeah, I'm yeah. like, that wasn't the real Undertaker. <laughs> the real Undertaker <laughs> is smart enough to send in a decoy, knowing that you might have a grudge, and now he's going to come in and, pay, and we're going to see the death of Mike Milligan. And it's going to be
0: Lorne Malvo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, I kept waiting.
0: Oh, God. I kept waiting for him to show oh, up. I
1: can't, my ribs, I've been coughing for like 10 days straight. I can't take it. <laughs> um, no, I, I was expecting that. So it's like, they reversed yeah. it with uh, old Ed on the phone.
0: Yeah, and then it's like a harmless phone. Fo- I'm not afraid of Ed. Right. Mike's that's, not afraid of that's, Ed.
1: That's what I was afraid of. I think that's what Mike Milligan was afraid of. Yeah. like Or the fact that Kansas City is smart enough to, like, as soon as you get in... Call us. Call us. And if you don't, we're going to send a
0: whole squad this time. I mean, even then, he could be like, well, he never showed up. Like, I haven't seen him. Whatever. Well, but it, it, that's what I mean. That's essentially
1: what his plan is. He's going to yeah. blame the Gerhards for, for clipping him on the way there. Yeah. Mm, but I, I don't. But then they're just going to send another boss and uh-huh. another, and, and maybe that's his plan. I, I don't know. It's weird because I saw that as he is on a more and more losing war, I feel like he gets more and more highfalutin. Like there's hmm. more of this, uh, you know, quoting uh, French. Nobleman yeah. Now he's and, not even
0: quoting in English. It's just yeah. Like last time, it was Jabberwocky. Too, this it's time, it's too.
1: It's officially too much for me now. And I, I guess I'm seeing this. Guy, yeah. This is his lack of control showing. Like he's he's retreating in intellectualism as he's losing on the ground. Mm, okay, that's the only because I just he's increasingly less of a real character. And
0: I, you know, like I'm trying to figure out where Mike's head at is at going into this, like. So he's been set up as a man who has been vouched for um, and that has been brought into this operation uh, on the back of that. Yeah. And that he has something to prove here, right? Right. How much of that is kind of his plan for making his way in the world and how – and with this falling apart, does that just end his future – career period I mean I know he's supposed to be killed here but he couldn't run off and do another thing like this is kind of what he set himself on and it's all or nothing I don't know
1: you said he's done and that was gonna be his death i wasn't I wasn't as sure as you and it's an academic debate because I don't think there's, there's really much to... of a difference there but um I was think I was wondering that myself it's like I'm kind of like seven percent sure that that means they're gonna kill him but there's thirty percent thinking that like this is this is a management. St- like, well, we just promoted you past your level of competence. So we're going to bust you back down, which is a fate as bad as death to a man as ambitious as Mike Milligan. Yeah. And then I think, oh, yes, these guys are gangsters and they would know that. So they just kill him.
0: I, I'm i pretty sure. Yeah. Like, I, this is why I was but my philosophy
1: I just, in management. I'd never demote a person. Just fire him. Just fire him. <laughs> No, seriously, <laughs> seriously. They they have no. I've never to... seen. I've never seen an instance where a person demoted takes that and is like, "Oh, well, okay, I, I was properly chased and I will go back and put my nose to grind." It's always those motherfuckers. They never gave me a the chance. They never supported me. They never gave me enough money.
0: I never had the people I wanted. It's Simone, right? I, it's Simone e- in this episode placing the blame on. Everything else but yourself. And they just
1: become malcontents. Yeah. So,
0: like, maybe there's a 5% chance that
1: you could turn a superstar employee by demoting them or benching the star quarterback or whatever. But yeah. in the corporate world, it seems like, no, it's just, it's you should just fire them. Okay. So that's why it's, like, kind of scary to promote from within because that's, you know, obviously bad for morale. <laughs> Uh, you promote someone hmm. they do well in management and that's a shining example of look what, what what hard work and and grit gets you but uh if you have to bust them down or fire them
0: then it's like Yeah, I think if you fire people don't for Don't stick your neck out too high. It's management's tough. But if you fire people for valid reasons and you can you can articulate those to the rest of your your Organization well, sure. or whatever. like if you promote
1: someone and they just get a raging alcohol problem or gambling or something like that. But or if they, they seriously
0: just... fuck up a project like Mike is doing here. But what
1: I'm saying, like, part of that's on you for promoting them because part, you know, the A number one skill of management is talent evaluation. And if you mis talent so bad that you put someone
0: in a situation where they didn't succeed, part yeah. of that's on you. Like I can see Ben happening to Ben in the next promotion sure. cycle. Next month, Ben is just going to fuck something up royally. Although, one of the dark ways to
1: look at that is they're promoting people with the attributes that they want, which is to look the other way when it's required Mm -hmm. and not ask too many
0: questions. Uh And
1: he'd do well in the Louisiana Police Department about right now, I would think, as well. Uh, And then, you know, he'd be be meeting Russ Cole on a boat in in 15, 20 years. So, I, I don't know. I think that stuff is all how they mix that kind of corporate stuff in with. And they also have, like we talked about this. Corporate business versus family business and how different they are. Oh, yeah. You know, you'd never have someone getting whipped with a belt in the corporate business. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Nope. No, sure. why, why their <laughs> knees are in the mud.
0: Nope. They'd be gone. Uh, what is. else
1: do we want to talk about? Do so we want to go back to Simone and how yeah. I have completely missed, uh, I, I've completely gotten wrong what I thought this character's trajectory was going to be.
0: Yeah. there is There is no grand plan. Nope, no. Nope. <laughs> None of that is happening she here. She is a
1: young girl trying to make her way, and we got a really brilliant piece of feedback outlining, like, the plight of Peggy and Simone uh, that I'm going to read it in feedback.
0: Okay, I'd have my own take on the the plight of Simone.
1: But no, I feel like she's just a young girl put in a possible situation, and maybe in peacetime she could have navigated it and become a Floyd, but with the war and the fact that her father is a fucking raging asshole and... Uh, bear yeah. who i think would be sympathetic to her not in wartime and not with his own axe to grind against dodd mm-hmm. what percentage of bear's motivation to kill simone is that she's betrayed to family and what percentage is it i'm furious with bear for putting my 17 year old kid in the line of fire without even consulting me
0: I feel like in some ways they're one in the same, right? Mm. He's angry at Dodd because he put Charlie in the line of fire. That's betraying him as a brother. Sure. That's betraying Charlie as a nephew. And Dodd's
1: behavior is kind of more or less betraying the family as
0: well. Exactly.
1: Putting them in a position, the the position they're in.
0: So I think he's mad for, at each of them for the same reasons. Uh, so I'd say it's a hundred percent family stuff here. Uh, as if you want to break it down to, like, Simone and Dodd's blame, I guess it's somewhere around, like, 60% Dodd, 40% Simone, <laughs> in my opinion.
1: At what point—and I thought that their car ride and everything leading uh, leading up to it, from the moment Bear pulled up and got yeah. her into the car, was so, so, so much tension up until the point where he presumably shot her. I'm going to say
0: yes on that.
1: I'm going to say—I'll actually feel it's a little bit cheated if they brought out Donnie Boy— and if she shows up bald next episode, well, see, now on when, the he, run. when he talked about Vich, Vich, Vichy France, I uh-huh. started thinking, oh, that would be an interesting kind of it's a transformative thing for Simone, like, because that's, you know, that. Filmmakers love fucking shaving people's heads. It's that revolution, a, a bit, you know. It's it's like the Sigourney change. Weaver and and Aliens. You you shave someone's head when you have yeah. a character go through a fundamental alchemical change, and it automatically puts you up for an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like I thought. It's like, ooh, this is interesting. That she's going to be exiled, and what will she do with that? And maybe you know she'll she'll emerge from this stronger. And I was wondering, like. When Bear picked her up, was he dead set on killing her, or was that in the cards? Or could she have said the right combination of words and with the right emotion to have swayed him? Because at the end, when she was just piteously sobbing and begging for her life and begging for banishment, I started
0: thinking that maybe Bear won't be able to do this. But his final line feels pretty final to me. No, no, I I get it. It's already done. I get it. And I... I and, and I think and, there's reason for him to want to do this, given what Dodd has done to Charlie here. I get it, but if how much... you're going to take my son, I'm going to take your daughter.
1: Is Floyd cool with this? No. You think Bear would kill Simone without Floyd's... Because here's the thing, Floyd was already I, on to Simone, and then as a direct result of Simone's actions, her lion got shot. I, I kind of read a little bit of a hesitance from Bear's. maybe Bear would take pity on this girl, but Floyd is like... I gave this girl every fucking opportunity and tried to support her the best way I can, and she still did this to their family. I f-
0: but so the rest of this episode is t- telling me, anyway, that Bear is off the reservation. That's true. Bear won't take a phone call to find out where Dot is. Floyd takes it immediately when yes, she finds he's out. He's trying
1: to manage Floyd in his own way because I think he's seen the flaws in everyone's leadership styles at this point. Yeah. So he's, he's like, doing "Why his not own Bear? Yeah. Why not Bear?"
0: You know. So I'm. I'm inclined to think that he's not considering Floyd's reaction or desires here anymore. He's Him and Floyd seem like the only one to have any soul, because when he did kill yeah.
1: Simone, like, that's... Yeah, he definitely killed Simone, because he goes back to the truck alone, and he bashes his cast off. And they have that split screen that has the effect yeah. of making him seem fractured, because mm-hmm. it's, like, slightly offset. And they show the flashes of everything the family has lost, and not just... Like it, it wasn't just dead characters, although there was a lot of that too, but also just characters who are just you know, like him and Bear, yeah, they're rivals, but they're brothers and presumably loved each other and his relationship with his mom and like and how she's lost his her her husband and his father. I just man, that
0: was a really powerful moment. They don't show any scenes of Otto, which I thought was a little strange. But they get Charlie in there. Otto got Don. the wedding
1: dress. He did. Draped over, uh, yeah, uh, his... draped over the coffin, which I thought. I always thought the Floyd's relationship with him is very touching.
0: Yeah, yeah, if clearly you didn't pick that up. Cute. That was probably her wedding dress. That's they, what I thought. They yeah. don't say anything about it. I assume it's like some German custom. So here's the other thing. Yeah, it's
1: a. Fin- it's, I I think it's like my because I didn't do any research on this, but what I got viscerally. It's kind of like, I'm done with wet. I'm never marrying another person. Mm. This is the love of my
0: life. I'm burying my womanhood with this man. It's also especially sad because there's no body for Rye. Sure. And it's like, oh, God. Right. (laughs) He got ground up into hamburger. Sure, sure. Uh, But I I also noticed... But also
1: the other thing I want to say that is symbolically when Bear... Was dismissing the rise like it's just clothes. I thought that was another indication that Floyd's time among us is short because she buried her clothes with her husband too, and now okay. she's a snitch. Mm-hmm. And she, yeah, she's dead before the season's over. I probably I'd, yeah. I'd put about a week's pay on it. <laughs> okay, forty eight dollars. There you go. Yeah, and <laughs> you get
0: half, so twenty four. Uh, did you think it was a little weird that they played Danny boy? Oh, Danny boy. I- for a German family, uh, yes, I I, th- I the was the emotion like, fit. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, I that I didn't ring Fargo to me. Like I expected, either something Minnesota, something Midwest, or something German. Like played the. I'm sure the Germans have a song about death somewhere. Yeah, but it's tragedy. It's of some it kind and... of
1: death metal. You know, <laughs> it's a Rammstein thing, and you're right. It, it just doesn't wouldn't play right. Uh-huh. I, I mean. Yes, I the first time I watched it it really bothered me the second time. I, I you know, it's weird. It's like I was more emotional watching all this stuff the second time. Um and and I, I guess I'll overlook the fact that they're mixing the nationalities and whatnot with the fact that the feel of that particular version of that song and how they did it felt oh yeah. Very right in the moment.
0: For for sure. I'm not I'm not trying to say it felt weird. It was just like I would have preferred a German song, but that's the thing. Like, so you w- you wouldn't have some polka understood. music, maybe some Oktoberfest.
1: Boom, <laughs> boom, like
0: bump, even bump. if there was something that matched the tone of the music, you don't uh-huh. you don't have that reaction to it like you do. Oh, Danny Boy, right? Like uh-huh. everybody knows that hymn. Sure, everybody, uh, regardless of whether you're German or Irish or whatever. What did you think
1: about Floyd in the interrogation room? Because I thought this was a really interesting. Like, the old guys let the young bucks out, and it's like, we're going to, you know, going to tussle with uh, the mom here. uh uh-huh. And, like, it's so folksy. Like, she's sitting down there, and she had just so much dignity with a little fur hat, and she's just looking down her nose at these guys. And she cracks out this pipe. And, uh, you know, Hank talks about his wife passing and brainerd, and He's like, do you know what her last smell or her thought was? Do you smell toast versus all the bullets and death going around in your family? And she had this really interesting take on it. It's like, well, we've got it easy compared to the old-timers. I mean, you used to have 10 born, 2 survived. You'd lose some yeah. to you know, scalpings and the, the sickness and consumption and famines and all this other stuff. And, then, like, that is a really interesting way to look at it. Like, if you're trying to rationalize all these deaths in your family to, to keep what's yours, it's like, well... This is, you know, we're we're off relatively easy compared to our forefathers, and it feels like that there's a lot of this. They've always they're always making these these appeals to their great forefathers and what all they did, and we can't go backwards. Yeah. We've always got to go forwards, which is also ties in really well with this theme's episode about greed. Mm-hmm. You know that that the reason the Kansas City we're even having this because Kansas City decided to get they want to get bigger, and I always thought that. Chuck Klosterman was talking to Bill Simmons on his podcast last week about Grantland and how it all failed, you know, everything went to shit with ESPN and now they're with HBO. And one thing he thought was interesting is like, he said that I never was comfortable with the idea of growing something to make it bigger. And he was kind of at odds with Bill. Like, you know, there's this desire to make Grantland bigger and, and get more page views. And he's like, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't understand that about companies too. It's like, once you get to be big and you're beloved by your customer base and you're making good products... Why do you want to get bigger? Like, why? what is this to engine... Do,
0: to do more of the same?
1: I, right? But, like, your employees' lives are not going to change by being bigger. They're probably going to be worse. The people running the company, the... Pro- like, why is this urge to always grow and get bigger and acquire more? What is this disease of more that we suffer from as a society? Hmm. I mean that's one of the things that keeps us moving forward like if like oh, what what point in history do you say that like okay we're good now we're good now
0: yeah i mean so it lines up would you call like the thirst for knowledge greed maybe in a certain light i don't think so i mean that's one of the driving forces of humanity right
1: i don't think so but, but i th- i can see that where certain you know certain Pursuits of that knowledge would be, you know, like like if you pursued the cure for cancer, but you were experimenting on live humans against their consent, I would say that would be a greedy mm-hmm. pursuit of knowledge because there <laughs> is a way to do that ethically and and correctly, and you are sh- cutting corners to do it faster and better and for what reason?
0: Okay, yeah. Like
1: to save. I mean, didn't you get like, well, that's a sticky situation because it's like, well, potentially I could save millions if not billions of lives in 100 years if I cured cancer. So yeah, I, what I if I like, torture a hundred people to death? <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah, yeah, medically. But I feel like that that's the thing of it, right? Like, if you're doing a good thing yeah. and it's working out for you, you want to do more of that good thing. Yeah. Because you assume that the result will be the same. Right. And i that makes sense to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, Lou's, Lou's talking about some, where that, that line gets crossed and the balance is out of whack. Yeah. And your pursuit of more overrides, like, like a company, it, it turns their products to shit, and it makes their employees unhappy. Right? And where does that become a disease rather than a, a compelling positive? Force? Yeah. Is the
1: man with only two shows shoes in his wardrobe? Is that the balance, or is that too? I feel far like on he could have side. a dress
0: pair and a casual pair. Yeah, maybe for both seasons, maybe. And all, I've seen his winter <laughs> shoes;
1: they're fucking boots. He just clumps around in boots all winter long. Yeah, you probably I mean, he does. This is
0: well, you're Minnesota. You're right. You're right. Uh, but what when he? What about when he goes to a fancy? Affair, like he's, He just rolls up in his gonna, gonna winter look, look, boots. Well, as a
1: person who used to wear dress shoes to work in the Midwest, and I'd frequently have to go out to fucking gas stations that are covered in twelve inches of snow and salt. Hell on the dress shoes. Like I probably would have yeah, been yeah. better just wearing boots everywhere, and nobody would have given a shit. So, w- w- in what circumstances are you going to wear, you know, spit-polished shoes in the dead of winter in Minnesota? You're going to go to a fancy gala affair yeah. and stomp through a bunch of salt puddles and get your leather all fucked up. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe everybody I just feel wears like galoshes. He... <laughs> are their dress, dress galoshes?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, it's not an issue in my life, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so he's kind of one extreme example, and I feel like Mike Milligan is the other extreme, right? Uh-huh. Like, he's he's happy with the bare minimum. Yeah. And I think there's a balance somewhere in between there that's not bare minimum and it's not excessive, uh, that I would probably be more comfortable with sure. than, than either of their lifestyles. Okay. So I don't know that that, that helps sort out this issue as far as <laughs> what Mike thinks of as greed and why that's important.
1: Yeah, and I think the other point, which is I was trying to touch on earlier in the conversation, where he says, it's not greed. They're the past and we're the future. That's like my point mm-hmm. is, like, at what point do you say, like, you know, so 1776, uh, we now have – we're governing we're ourselves. Are we good there? Uh, right after the Civil War, we've abolished slavery. Are we good there? Civil rights, are we good there? Did we cured polio here. Are are we good? Do we keep going? Like, we're about to eradicate the guinea worm. Should we stop now? Uh-huh. Like, he's – there's, like, this, like, this, this, like futility. It's, like, trying to tell the future to make – to stay still – for the continuing ascendance of the past. He's like, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. It isn't about greed. It's about the natural order of things, which is another one that like, yeah. you know, as a guy who likes to masturbate to philosophy, this shit is mother's milk. Like that is like, I, I've, I'm now even in discussion. I've got three minds in a matter. Cause they're all in their particular yeah. perspective. It's like the theory of
0: relativity from their vantage point. Their point of view is correct. Sure, and and then it comes down to some sort of ethical dilemma, right? Like which is more correct, which is more beneficial, and yes. how do you judge those things? Right. And that becomes a sticky issue. Right. But then even fast. that
1: pragmaticism is its own philosophy that is yes. scorned by some. So sure. like there is no <laughs> empirical right or wrong answer to many of life's uh
0: problems. You know what? Say la vie. And and I love I love Mike Milligan's say la vie attitude when Lou comes storming in that room. Uh-huh. And they Ben takes Simone out, and he waves. He's like, he's he's not like, oh god damn it, I got caught. This is the end. I'm like, he just that dovetail's so great. He sits he's, back he's down on about, his desk and waves. He Goodbye. Quote,
1: he quotes this French Baron about the revolt versus revolution. And then he talks about a, in astronomy, a revolution is uh, returning to where you were. Like that's
0: and his reaction yeah. to that embraces that. It's like what totally totally and i i don't know that i totally buy his definition of uh revolution here on earth of being change i i think there's a certain like take the power back mentality that returns a returns a balance I don't know how that works. Wrong.
1: You're talking about the in European Revolution. You were talking about kings and queens being forced to give up. It was a it yeah. was a in centuries that- long process of taking power from them and giving it to people who never, ever, ever, common people
0: never since we left the caves had power. In that particular circumstance, sure. There are many other revolutions that are literally taking back a power that was taken from them. Sure. Yeah, in the modern, less the modern years, the word ago, revolution
1: know? is just a change of government, yeah, from one type to another.
0: Yeah, and so, sure, in his particular instance, in that example, I it mean, is a change.
1: You could also ask, like, if it, are any of us truly free? Do any of us have have power?
0: Okay, then you go right back down that rabbit hole. Yep. It feels <laughs> so good, though. I
1: can't stop. I'm...
0: No, no, I'm uh, not doing all it. All right. Uh... <laughs> did you notice Adam Arkin is the Kansas City Oh, of course I did. Guy? Yeah. All right. He was. He loves playing those gangsters. He, he was does also love playing Theotonin. the gangsters that
1: are that are not. Are, are <laughs> what, what am I trying to say? Are
0: seldom seen, uh-huh. but
1: frequently mentioned, and always in like hushed overtones. And, yeah, I
0: think he's in like three episodes of Justified as right. the head of the Detroit mafia. Yeah, he's the
1: guy that speaks into the ears. He cuts off. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> uh huh. Seasons in three and five. If you're interested in those, uh, they have had a lot more just gorgeous photography. We talked about that icy road shot. Uh-huh. That they had done, like, episodes back, and they did it again here. Right, with the uh, Simone's long trip. Yeah, and then they show the fork in the road, and that's when Simone goes, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. But that, that's just, I don't even know where that exists in nature, or if it does, but... It's weird, because it, it, it looks a it's lot a like a river. It Yeah, you but the... there's not a road just going right through a river. Uh, no, no, I know. It's not a bridge, so it's like, yeah. how does that happen I guess in it's nature?
1: like, packed down snow on a gravel road, that's how it looks
0: and it's it's so clear though. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. But I, I find that shot just And also super the music compelling. they're
1: playing, it's like a synth out the dir- uh, didgeridoo. Uh-huh. You know, when they're doing before they got to the Danny boy when they're just doing her uh, taking her on the long drive.
0: Yeah, the music in the show continues to be phenomenal. The the other thing I noticed about Mike Milligan's crew and this Kansas City thing is when Floyd describes they're doing doing business under this company called Legit Trucking. Uh huh, which I found hilarious. Yeah, I, I don't know if they think that that is some kind of cover, or if they're just ironically naming it on purpose. But out of
1: out of Cincinnati, Ohio, the Queen City. That's right. Our uh, yeah. our hometown in, in exile, I suppose.
0: Yeah, the bald move headquarters. Uh, I don't know. Gangsters aren't that dumb to think that legit naming their company legit is somehow a cover. I don't right? know.
1: Maybe they have a sense of humor about it.
0: That's what I was thinking.
1: Yeah, legit trucking. I mean, it's good enough for M.C. Hammer, right? Okay, I so, so I, I want to talk about Betsy. Yeah. Because we talked last week in a mailbag about how Peggy was supposed to have this arc where she was supposed to marry this one guy who went off to Vietnam, and then she had to marry this other guy because this guy got killed. And it seems like they took that backstory and they did a gender bin and they gave it to Betsy because Betsy was the a daughter i mean lou had a soft spot for her older sister i think and he went off to war and she was the kind of woman who wasn't willing to wait for men and so betsy got i guess her leavings which was a surprising revelation about them
0: yeah i suppose i thought they were you know high school sweethearts like the midwest fairy tale right right
1: and I've when it it put into context some of these things where like she just takes into stride how Lou kind of throws himself in his work and sometimes isn't as, as, as attentive to his family as he could be. Yeah, and I'm like, does she feel like is she just grateful for anything because she this wasn't supposed to, she wasn't supposed to get Lou. Or I mean, because I, I, I it, it, weird it put because I always thought that she was like independent. She had her own thing, and she was really into the things she was doing, and she was able to get some intellectual stimulation by helping her dad and her husband solve cases. And you know, she was fully happy and engaged. But this kind of put a weird spin on like maybe at the end of the day, she's acting this way because she feels like she doesn't deserve Loop. Which is, you know, it takes, it makes me, it, I don't know, it felt, it felt weird, but also felt more of a piece and of, of of what he's trying to do, Noah is trying to do with like the Peggy's and the Simone's of the world and the Floyd's of the world as well. That even this woman who seems like she fully feels, she, she fully feels like she's running her own life and she's not wanting more or anything like that. Uh, she still feels like. I don't know. I'm, I'm, oh, but I'm, she wants I'm those losing chickens. my own plot here. She does want. That's that's her modest. She wants some chickens for yeah. her to call her own.
0: Yeah, and it it makes me wonder, kind of how Lou feels about her too, right? He comes back and this this woman he. I think Lou I, loves. I, I, the shit I guess out of her. I guess loved at that point. Yeah, uh, has moved on, wants nothing to do with him, and then he he sees Betsy, who was was she pining for him before he left? I was don't she, know. Like, how does that? how does that shade their relationship? It
1: is weird. Like the fact that you would date a br- a sister and then marry another sister. Like what is it feels a little What weird. is
0: Thanksgiving like at that family? <laughs> well, we haven't seen the other sister, so maybe she's moved on somewhere with her own life and doesn't yeah. give a shit. Yeah. Doesn't attend the Thanksgiving family reunion type no, stuff. No, but
1: it did. It, it was, and it must've been a deliberate choice. Cause I feel like that when, when their draw, you know, this was all in the drawing board, it's like, ah oh, shit, we can't, we can't do with Peggy what we're going to do with with uh, Betsy. Or maybe this stuff fits with Betsy. But I'm like, what What was the point of what, – what literally – what was the point of all that? Because it was kind of sure. like – it was kind of a non-sequitur. It was a way to bridge the conversation to, Carl, you need to look after these people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe she's fishing for a compliment because Carl – Uh, to bid on that hook hard with the whole, if I was building an ark, you'd be the Noah and whatever Noah's wife was.
0: Yeah. And then she takes that opportunity as I'm going to, to segue into a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. I mean, this, this moment that Betsy and Carl have in the dining room is, you know, I, I, I was not crying, but it was, it was touching.
1: You could feel that machinery that was missing yeah. inside of you trying to, like, the, the, the air lights air going Alarms were going uh, off, yeah. Subroutine not found. Uh-huh. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know exactly how you mean, because sometimes I'm like, I'm on the threshold. Yeah. Uh, yeah but but it, it doesn't quite get like me. Like,
0: if, but- if I decided, you know what, I just want to cry today. Yeah. That scene would have done it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, like, I, I don't know. It's It's interesting how Fargo has this way of moving seamlessly between... Exciting action, comedy, and this heartfelt sadness. You know, it's yeah. it's it's really amazing
1: how they can move. I feel like, like the that. heartfelt stuff all like comes baked in when you're dealing with the Midwest stuff. Okay, because some of the stuff it's. I feel like if you this family was in L.A. or New York, it'd seem cornpone. <laughs> But Like, almost not genuine? Well, or? I mean, imagine that you've got this neighbor who's not even really your neighbor. He just lives in the same town, and mm, you're going to yeah. bequeath your family on them. It does feel like everybody knows everybody intimately. Yeah, like yeah. fucking Don's going to have that conversation with Pete. Sure. No. Sure. No. You're not going to, you know, and uh, I'm trying to think of what, a, a series set in, in L.A. Mm. Uh, we're covering one right now. It wasn't Fear the Walking Dead. Shit. Anyway... Um, like, if you had a series set in L.A., you're not going to have that same kind of thing where people, like, will believe in the 70s in Wisconsin that, yes, a small town would be that close that the town drunk who's a barrister, you could get him in a moment of vulnerability and you'd, you'd, you'd prom- make him promise to watch your, your over your family. And also he's portrayed as formidable enough that you think he could rise to that challenge and be kind of like that solid figure for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you thinking a True Detective season two? No, it was something was else. No it
1: might be something um maybe it's Jessica Jones is taking place. No, that's taking place oh. in New York City. There's something I'm watching right mm-hmm. now. Oh, it's American Horror Story. Oh. Yeah, no fucking way. No that... you would never see anyone trust anyone in anything. Twisty's going to
0: roll up and give Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. know.
1: Kathy Bates a big hug. Yeah. Are
0: those characters anymore? Yes, you got
1: it. You got it. Okay. You got it. You're going to say Twisty, you know, uh you need to stop killing people because I'm not going to be around. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to be around you, satanic clown, and you got to k-
0: take care of my whole my whole clan. Sure. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. All right, so we've got to talk about Hank's study. I feel like if we're talking about Betsy, she's going over the the other scene that was touching was when she goes into Hank's house and she sees all the pictures on the wall, both yeah. of. Herself as a kid, her family with Lou and uh, Hank's yeah, family. Yeah, they spend
1: like sixty seconds just pouring over family photos, which I they thought do. was pretty awesome.
0: Well, I thought they were they were waiting to jump scare me. Like someone was in this house, oh. instead of her house, and they were going to grab her. That's weird. That, that would
1: have been great because I was wide open for it because I was just like, wow, what a great way to cap this last scene <laughs> oh. where she's talking about how much family means to her and how, and then you see his multi generational <laughs> thing and. Yeah,
0: I would have been kabammed. That's funny because in that scene I was stealing myself against it and so I wasn't <laughs> able to appreciate the stuff that you were uh uh-huh. you were uh, appreciating well, but the know, second time I'm, I'm through. i still
1: not as not as much horror watching chops as you, so it, That's the problem, yeah. Uh now you when I came over today we were kind of like doing a little pre-show banter and I mentioned like, what did you think about her father, dis- Betsy discovering her father's alien research insanity? Uh, and you're like, why did you jump to? Through- oh, I see you jump to the alien conclusion. I'm like, bitch, uh, please. How can this
0: be anything else than alien research? He. So there was some talk on Reddit about this maybe being like Native American symbols. Now, not all of it can be because there is like a lot of stuff up on the windows where it's like either an eye or, or. Perhaps a spaceship in one of the symbols? I don't know. I'm I'm coming down on aliens, too. Well... But there was talk of it being something else.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so that's like... You you mentioned that uh, there was the Chariot of the
0: Gods uh, book. It's not actually Chariot of the Gods. I thought it was. What is it? Which would make a whole Egyptian connection. It's Palaces of the Gods. Oh. Which is a different book that I can't tell has anything to do with it. It's talking about, like, Thailand and excavating and restoring this temple because when you said, said his
1: chariot of the gods which i didn't notice so i was like well that's that's like the bible of uh, yeah, everything yeah. in the ancient world that, that you that like pyramids um yeah uh, uh, uh the the giant desert drawings <laughs> of people and ox and frogs and birds and shit and in, in, in south america like anything that you think huh I wonder how a primitive culture could build that. <laughs> Aliens. You know, Stonehenge. Yeah, Stonehenge, right. the same thing. Yep. And what's funny is, like, I feel like the last 30 years we've been slowly walking that back. Like, you know, humans 10,000 years ago were not less intelligent than we are. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like they were literally a bunch of dumb fucks. They actually had the same brain we have. It's the technology and the knowledge. It's but But with the tools that they had at the time, they could do crazy shit. Like, what Jimmy Hendrix did on the guitar, these guys are doing it with stone axes and levers and rolling uh, inclined planes yeah. and stuff like we don't think to do it because we've got machinery and combustion engines, and we can just brute force it. They had to finesse it, yeah um it's kind of interesting that all the techniques that guys have just in their backyard shown like how you can swing ten thousand pound rocks with with as with a single stone and one dude doing it right it's It's crazy, yeah. But yeah, charity of the gods, all a bunch of bullshit. Sure, um, it's palaces of the gods, and it's okay. some
0: excavation of Khmer temples in Thailand.
1: I still think I'm on the right point. I don't know he, what that means. That, that that when his his wife died, Hank threw his entire hobby into cracking this alien question. Sure. Like he's now Why? wanting to try to figure out uh, how life on earth got seeded by these things and how Native American, you know, customs and, and South American customs and what the Intuits are doing and uh, Inuits, rather, Intuits, a <laughs> tax company. Uh, and and <laughs> how one of the what guys who did Stonehead like all these when when the aliens still walked among us there's, there's something key here now they come back no I, I feel like yeah Hank is obviously a UFO
0: aficionado I mean it seems like it yeah I what's the Reddit theory that, that, that it's makes, something else uh, people were talking about it being some Native American symbols mixed in there I gotta say I that know. I
1: just watched Stargate like the next so that's yeah. one of the other things I watched Stargate Monday I came home Monday night in Fargo and like this stuff is you know this is daniel trying to figure out how to get back how, how to lock into seven chevrons get back to earth uh-huh
0: i i don't know there, there's some weird stuff in there like i did some freeze framing and looked around it and there's there's a lot of stuff in there like so there's a string of them hung above this fireplace or whatever mm-hmm. um that you prominently see and one says sick next to it is angry conversation next one is fetus and the next one is dead He's
1: trying to Sick, angry conversation. He's trying to write hand. encoded dead baby
0: jokes? Like I, Maybe. Maybe he's working on his stand-up routine. <laughs> his yeah. alien... St- uh, like, that's What's his gross? aspiration. What's
1: gross? A sidewalk full of dead babies. What's grosser and gross? Oh, something with the... I'm, I'm in Minnesota. So it's got involved with a snowplow or a snowblower. Uh-huh. I, I'm almost there. An angry conversation. <laughs> fetus. Yeah, no. Let's
0: put a fetus in there. The word fetus is funny to me. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, it's... Does it, what kind of light does this shed on Hank as a character? Because it comes out of completely nowhere. No man, me.
1: it's like I 100%. don't. I don't know. It's kind of the same thing where um, Dan Carlin says this on one of his his stories uh, or one of his podcasts, where he wonders what people think when they come to his home for the first time, and they're like he invites him into his study and like, oh, you're a normal guy. Wait, there's a Nazi dagger on your desk. Uh, there's a whole shelf full of books on medieval torture what well, what the fuck have i walked that's how i felt like i thought i now knew let this me show guy. you the basement yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i i thought i knew this guy and now he's a ufo yeah. kook I,
0: yeah it's and there was no hinting at it for me like yeah. this is just hammer on the like nail on the head and out of nowhere
1: sure like what is he up to why is this
0: so important and also and that's how it's supposed to feel i mean obviously but but i
1: don't think he was hiding it because if he was hiding it he would not invite his daughter over to feed his cats where she's going to stumble across this stuff yeah probably not no one ever i mean when did he get into this why it's been
0: a while ago apparently
1: i guess because he's filled the room with it but like does no one ever go over to Grandpa's house? I guess it's... Yeah, even if you do, it's like there's parts in my granddad's house I've probably have seen in, in a decade.
0: Well, I mean, that Because I do go back to his, like, third bedroom that no one's lived in for yeah. 30 years and like,
1: oh, let me poke around and see, oh, shit, my <laughs> granddad's got a bunch of crazy-ass stuff. And
0: maybe that sheds some light on why he drops in so frequently, keep mm. people from coming to his house. Uh, it's He's a, it's like, oh, it's just like a preemptive see him, attack. So, yeah. yeah. I don't maybe know. a
1: little bit of that in there. Or what if this is the, tr- the twist... It's actually his wife that was way into aliens. And he's just preserved it. And he's preserved it, or maybe he's trying to continue her research because of all the recent alien activity in the area. Because that's kind of been what people have been talking about, and we know that that was a thing in this this time frame. Sure. Uh, that's the only other possibility it could be, right?
0: I think so. I, I don't really know.
1: Yeah. Not sure about Didn't Hank seem like the type, but that's, it's, yeah. it sometimes surprises you. You find out about people you know.
0: What about the... Uh... The last remaining Kitchen Brother speaking. Yeah, I mean, we've seen. I, do you now think that it I think was him. We've do seen him
1: whisper the the mic. So we have, and we
0: saw it in this episode. Yeah. So
1: like, then being mutes is off the table.
0: Definitely, I'm pretty sure that was him talking this episode. I don't know who else it could be. What do you mean talking? When he says Undertaker's on the way up, somebody said that. To Mike Milligan in his hotel oh. room, and he was the only one in the hotel room. Oh,
1: well, I saw him w- lean in and whisper something to Mike, so, okay, yeah. yeah, that's... But I think we heard him talk. Oh, uh, I too. assumed that that was, well, yeah, I guess it's true, because Undertaker had, like, uh, X number five and six from Scott Pilgrim with him, <laughs> and I was wondering if, like, that was... He had his s- kitchen brothers. The yeah. way, you know, kind of the way this, the, the Secret Service talk about the president... Like, you know, po- yeah. like Swordsman's coming up, you know, Swordsman in the elevator. Like, maybe that was what they were going for. Because it was, yeah, you're right, the voiceover and the scenes that they're showing kind of jumbled. But, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I guess they they talk. I kind of decided okay. that a couple episodes ago.
0: Yeah. All right, then nothing too interesting to talk about there.
1: Uh, I thought that Jesse Plemons at the end, just walking from the payphone to the car, it just, man, the, he, he he's killing it. Ed looked kind of cool, with that funky music playing behind. I'm like, I'm suddenly like Uh super interested in maybe, because I want to say that the Ed is still the puppet of either Peggy or Dodd or Floyd or or Lou or somebody's put him up to this. But maybe Ed just, he's actually brilliant. He's just never been challenged by anything before.
0: Okay, like you just never knew what he was
1: capable of until.
0: He's never had a reason to Because every try. single
1: time he swings in action, he's
0: kind of a badass. Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't think that De- – I mean, Dodd seems like a bully more than uh, a formidable person. Now, Hanzi seems like the, the, the real McCoy. Like,
0: he seems like a really formidable guy. But maybe maybe Ed could take these guys in a straight-up fight. I think maybe Ed's like a kitchen brother where he's not a planner. He's a doer. mm And, like, when shit hits the fan and action springs upon him – He's a good violent – He does it. He's a good violent improviser. Yeah. All right. The other thing I didn't think of when we were talking about this earlier, uh, it is it possible... So, I think if there's a piece of evidence that says he is chasing Peggy because he's in Dodd's car. Would it be likely that Ed, not being a super smart guy, would think, oh, well, I'm going to take a different car because they'll trace me? Or do you think Peggy maybe took his truck after selling their car and she's headed to Sioux Falls in his See, I car? I thought
1: that, yeah, that Peggy took the truck when Ed got taken and and all that shit went down at the house and then Ed followed her somehow but yeah it's a good that he arrived at his home found that Dodd's car was there took off but then how does he get Dodd in his trunk
0: well if Peggy just took off and left Dodd in the basement no maybe he goes in goes oh god and he finds Dodd he still finds Dodd takes his keys ooh, yeah
1: ooh tosses him in the trunk that could be significantly less badass um <laughs> also
0: explain why Hans yeah. followed him state to state. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he... I mean, does he just go after Ed? Like, if he doesn't have Dodd, actually, does he go after Ed? Continue that chase?
1: I don't think so, because he knows the truth of the situation, and Dodd is the one that kind of put him up to this thing, and he doesn't give yeah. a shit about making Floyd happy. So, yeah, I think it's mostly he's going after his boss. Or his half-brother okay. or whatever we're theorizing <laughs> about him.
0: Sure. Uh, the other thing I noticed in that scene with Ed is that there's a hangman game up on the side of the phone booth here. Mm. The, the obvious answer is Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know why someone in Sioux Falls is playing hangman over the phone or with themselves while they're on the phone. like That's yeah. a strange scenario, but okay, whatever. That might be just a little too
1: cute because there's a lot of noose... A lot of talk of nooses in this episode. Yeah, it's that's a big true. week for nooses. Yeah, uh, yeah I know you haven't seen Jessica Jones, but there's a plethora oh. of nooses there. Leftovers is on noose. Uh, Floyd's talking about uh, nooses and whatnot. Or is she? Somebody, someone used the word noose. noose. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, Simone. She goes, "If I'm that's the other Simone thing that I didn't I didn't talk about is that I thought it was really pathetic when she was turning on her sexuality to Ben." And then when she kneaded him in the crotch and said, I might be walking into the noose, but I'm not laying down for any more man, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah, and I honestly don't know how to feel for Simone here. Like, she has put herself in a bad situation, but she has done so because a lot of shit is bad in her life. And so I feel a lot of sympathy for her, but at the same time, she has seriously fucked her family over here. Yeah, but, like, I mean, I can, I
1: mean, you and I have quote-unquote seriously fucked our family over. No, we, I've done
0: nothing to my family. From They've your
1: perspective,
0: it. what I'm saying is sure. what, what I'm saying
1: is, we rebelled against an intolerable situation yeah. and did some certain amount of devastation to our family and community, and I'd do it all over again. But I could also see that blowing up on our faces. But it wasn't my choice to do Yeah, no, I'm not attacking the you. Thing. No, I'm no, trying no, to get I'm, to the point of I'm saying like, Imagine if you and I, we, ha- we ha- happen to be blessed with being way into computers and mm-hmm. naturally inclined to that and spending all of our teenage years kind of honing those skills at the exact same time in history that being able to program and bang together computers and make them work was lucrative, you know what I'm okay. saying? Like, what if we had turned our back on all of this and we didn't have any skills over menial janitorhood? Yeah. Like, no, what, I feel bad. For how Simone and how would our run. lives, or what if we, one of us got addicted to drugs or an alcohol? So I feel a lot of sympathy for a person like that because, like, I can see if the dice didn't break for me, a few ways that I would be in a situation where I would was doing desperate things or just trying to flail around. Also, like, you know, yeah. I, I had the blessing of doing it when I was older in, in, in life, too. So, I don't know. That's what I'm bringing to the table when I'm examining her. Like, I feel I feel kinship. But at the
0: same time, she has made a lot of decisions that have fucked over everyone in her family, not sure. just the people that she's angry at sure. and the people that have mistreated her.
1: Yeah, you're right. That's where the it, it breaks so, down because she's actually— I'm a little confused.
0: By what? I mean, I— I'm internally confused. I'm not confused about what they're trying to say about Simone. I think Uh all of that is on the screen, and Uh all of that is meant to be mulled over. Uh I'm just confused about where I come out the other side of that. Hmm. Do I like or dislike Simone? I I think it's a little bit of both.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of Simone. I I liked the performance. I liked the the raw kind of animal intelligence I saw her showing, and I was rooting for her to be Floyd 2.0. And she's got caught up in 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 like again. If the if the dice had broken different, or if she'd pulled, if she'd been born five years earlier or five years later, I think things would have turned out very differently from her. But for yeah. her, but we got a, a really nice email about that. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we getting the feedback? Nah, I think I'm good. You know, Jim. Nothing says Christmas like a nice snowy Midwestern white Christmas, right? I was just yeah. sorry for yeah. those poor bastards in Florida and California and. And uh, yeah. Australia, that they just don't—they don't get the snow. It's like you know, what is what is it? It's the white Christmas you're always dreaming of. You're not dreaming of uh, a, a dirt Christmas or a palm tree Christmas. No one's written that. So maybe Elvis has one. <laughs>
0: he, oh, he has—he like, has sweaty Christmas. Ah, yeah.
1: you. Know, I, I bet that like in Hawaii, they just there's an Elvis. Uh, Christmas album exclusively about Hawaiian Christmases, and th- I'm, and, and, I'm and they're certain. they're like, I feel sorry for those those idiots that can't wear flip flops and Bermuda <laughs> shorts on Christmas. Like uh-huh. they're not getting the real Christmas as espoused by Elvis Presley. Uh-huh. But regardless, do you know that's the best thing about Christmas, the white Christmas you know what the worst thing about Christmas is? No. Getting out in that white Christmas and, and shopping for all the people in your life that you want to give presents to is the worst. And it feels Amazon, like a catch twenty two. Amazon.ballmove.com is your easy button uh to, to making that stuff less miserable, a lot more wonderful, a lot more Bing Crosby. Uh, chestnuts roasting on open fires, etc. And the great thing is, if you use the amazon.baldmove.com link, not only do you get Amazon's great selection and great prices and, and awesome and flexible shipping options, but you also support Bald Move at no cost to you. This isn't you know, you go to check check out at Pet Smart's, and Sarah McLaughlin asks you if you want to kick in a dollar to homeless dogs. This is, is just, she working at Pet Smart now? She is. is. That God, she is. She's fallen. She's so She's got far. such a big heart for dogs, is what it is. It's no, don't pity her. <laughs> oh, don't okay. Pity her. She's doing what she loves. Got, okay, gotcha. Uh, but it's not one of those shakedowns. It's just uh, we're taking we're taking some off of uh, Amazon's cut. It, it, yeah, it, yeah. So it's it, it's giving us free money. Who doesn't want to do that? Amazon.baldmove.com. Enjoy your white Christmas and support Bald Move. And, yeah, that's that's the way it goes. All right, time to launch the feedback mailbag. It's Fargo at baldmove.com, or you can talk uh, Fargo at forums.baldmove.com, where we have a discussion thread for each episode each week. Graham H. said, I heard you last week mention Elron." Uh, the oldest Gerhardt's son, and, and was confused on his background, as it turns out. we And also, we got multiple emails on this. Graham just happened to be the first one, so he won the race. Uh, he was mentioned in an early episode, Episode 4, during Floyd's meetup with Joe Bulow. Floyd mentions that Elron was killed in the Korean War, which puts his death around 1950 to 1953. Let's assume Elron died around the very beginning of the war, and in 1951, we know the auto starts bringing Dodd with him to his meetings as the new eldest son. We can assume Elrond was at least 18 at his death and he was old enough to serve, and young Dodd looks about 8 or 10 in the flashbacks. That puts about a decade gap between Elron and Dodd, which can be explained by Floyd mentioning that he was in the same scene that among her four sons she had two were stillborn and three miscarriages, which would explain the gap. That's true. Okay you got some stillborn and miscarriages and there's like, it's not, not for lack of trying that you weren't having kids or just a unfortunate natural gap there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, uh, lays out the, the, uh, we have now accounted for all of the Gerhardt children. Um, quab S said a quick and probably incorrect prediction on where this whole UFO thing may end up. He sent this before this last episode, but I don't think it really changes the game. This is not an original theory to me, but I got this from the Minnesota public radio Fargo podcast Given what we know of this, that this season of Fargo is in part inspired by the Cohen works of Miller's Crossing and The Man Who Wasn't There, the UF stuff most likely comes from two places. The Man Who Wasn't There, the character of Anne Brewster, played by Catherine Borowitz, who is married to the character of Big Dave Brewster, played by the late great James Gandolfini. After Gandolfini's character is killed, she has a scene with Billy Bob Thornton where she speaks about the aliens in outer space. So, this is one source of the UFO subject matter, but not a predictive one as to how it might flesh out in Fargo the season. Uh, he also says a second inspiration, we talked about this uh, Minnesota Marshall uh, County sheriff um, who got some kind of alien involvement in 1979 with a squad car and he missed 15 minutes or whatever on the side of a road. Um, sure.
0: Claims to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there were, he's speculating that something along these lines has got to be how the UFO stuff will come to fruition. But not in the main part of the story, obviously, or what we are most interested in, may maybe a quirky side note. So whether it be Lou or Hank or maybe Ben Schmidt, some law enforcement character is going to have some in- inexplicable interaction with a UFO-like object just to put a bow around that minor storyline. After this episode, my money is on Hank.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: But Hank has been, there's this backstory of him being abducted and he's trying to study. And then in the last episode, he's going to get beamed up in a shaft of light. <laughs> okay. Or he have a shaft of yeah. light beam inside
0: him. I'm not sure which. Hmm. Yeah, let's uh, see. I don't know. I'm you're not interested in the I'm UFO not thing. I'm not super interested in that angle of this show. No. So no
1: matter how you're you're now no matter how it turns out you're going to be meh. Probably okay. Um, I'm hoping that it I'm hoping that it's at least funny. Okay. Because I don't see much funny about what's going to go and what's going to go down in Sioux
0: Falls unless yeah, they go probably. really slapstick like uh-huh. three Scrooges with real it. real dark funny. Yeah. Like yeah. you know body in a. Like, Ed, like, I, I
1: killed a fella, and might have killed another, you know, that kind uh-huh. of thing. Yep. Uh, Stephanie says, hey, guys, I've been thinking about the reference to Gerhardt's brother, Elron. must have some significance. Am I overthinking this, or could Elron be an anagram for Lorne, as in Lorne Malvo? Well, <laughs> it is an anagram, but yeah. there might be something to this overthinking business, don't you think? If I was going to Fargo it? Yeah, I can't
0: imagine any more possible speculation on Lorne Malvo? <laughs> like, is this a monkey's paw
1: situation that the Floyd is going to somehow summon Elrond from the grave and the shambling corpse becomes Lorne Malvo? I mean, that's some yeah. that's some
0: Lord Voldemort-type Harry Potter shit. Uh, yeah, I hate to disappoint everybody. I don't think they're, we're going to see Malvo in this season. Hmm.
1: I'm not so sure, but I'm not. it's not something I'm, I'm thinking has to happen. If it happens, it better be cool. Because after Star Wars, I'm getting a little sick of everybody knowing everybody and everybody being, you know what I mean? It's like some of this shit is a little too too cute. Mm -hmm. Uh, J.K., that's actually her name, not uh, or maybe she's just kidding all the time. Uh, Noah Hawley is clearly drawing on, this is the one about the women that I I was really excited to read. It's kind of long, so buckle in. Okay. Noah Hawley is clearly drawing a lot of historical and cultural context from America in the post-60s, late-70s time period, and you touch on a lot of this for a number of reasons. But Hawley is also clearly drawing important historical parallels between his female characters and, quote-unquote, second-wave feminism of this crucial women's rights period, and this seems very absent from your dialogue. Not surprising. Uh, After listening to your ideas about Simone's character in contrast to Floyd, I want to throw in my own perspective since I've spent a lot of time studying women and gender studies. Simone is trapped in a classic situation for women during a post-sexual revolution time period, which is further excavated by the fact that she lives in the Midwest. She's a young adult female searching for autonomy in a world where progressive culture is telling her that there's a place for sexual women, while her family and local culture is telling her that she is a whore. Sure, there's some legitimacy to asking someone to treat their body with respect, but Dodd could give two shits about Simone's desires, dreams, and happenings. All of his comments are based on the way she looks, from the, fam- from the really disturbing and distressing truck scene to the port scene from last episode. It's all about appearance for Dodd, which is why, as Simone tells Mike, he beats his wife when she isn't smiling or pretending to be happy. It's about control, not advice or concerns, really. Simone is not a whore in any sense of the word. As far as we know, she's an adult woman only sleeping with one man over the course of the show so far, and she even speculates they may be, there may be something more than just sex. She's partially using Mike to get back at her father, but she has that right. Her and Mike are doing the same thing, really, as Jim suggests, but Mike is manipulative where she is not. And, as an added layer, Simone is encouraged to use her sexuality within the family as well, like when Hansi gets her to help, quote-unquote, capture Skip. She believes sexuality is her weapon, a tool, and an escape, and has encouraged to feel this way on many fronts. She's tried to push herself so far away from her mother's image that she's pulled a 360 and wound up as a prop in a man's world anyway. A astronomical revolution, if you will. Mm-hmm. And this is a much more nuanced situation because of her monologue about sexual revolution and her ideas of autonomy. It begs a larger question about respect and double standards that Holly is clearly writing into all of this, as is apparent in Floyd's story as well, which you've touched on. Plus, Simone's story coupled in contrast with Floyd's really couches the idea of women's liberation in a story about men still demanding authority. In Peggy's case, she's living Betty uh, Friedan's classic tale of the problem that has no name. In the early 60s, now uh, was formed and Friedan scripted her famous feminine mystique, speculating that women are educated and happy because the role in the workplace was not equal to men's, though more and more were gaining the tools to do quote unquote work. I speculate that Peggy is rather uneducated in the college sense, but she's trapped in a Mrs. Cleaver lifestyle in so many ways where she has ambitions and attitudes that pushes her outside of that box into unstable semi-insanity since she can't quite put it into words. She knows what she wants or that she wants more and she knows she needs more, but she's likewise being manipulated by a man who's using the atmosphere of the time period to make money. The life springs uh, situation. Her salon boss is also espouting very women's lib ideas about independence and money, and Peggy collects and obsesses over all sorts of magazines, which in the 70s would be one of the first places women came into contact with women's liberation essays and stories. These magazines are his escape and motivation, so I have a hard time imagining Holly didn't do that on purpose, albeit subtly. I also find it really interesting that Peggy's magazine hordes are what really help her defeat Todd's super masculine approach to the situation of taking her down with guns, with the here kitty kitty, the dumb bitch attitude, etc. Plus, the birth control bits are super historical elements as it was first legalized in 1972 for all women across America to have access to contraceptives. So it shows how forward thinking Peggy is. We see her downing this drug in private after only six years of safe legalization and in the Midwest. I imagine she's been on the pill for secret a long time, too, maybe even years, which adds another layer to Peggy's story. These women are all having autonomy issues in a time period that was really pulling women both forwards and backwards. And Holly is putting all this in the story in bits and pieces, just as he is with the war and the politics. I thought that was super interesting and also kind yeah. of a gap in our coverage. Again, you know, I'm not as, uh, as up on the origins of women's liberation and second
0: wave feminism, um really you as a male are not quite as concerned yeah about that stuff yeah. as females are
1: yeah well not only that but i just not you know i didn't go to college and it's one of the things where yeah. when i you know i've spent a lot of time reading about gender relations and feminism but it's all been post second wave and like modern
0: you got a lot of catching up to do is what yeah you're saying. and also the nuances
1: <laughs> of like a woman's experience I. like that's you know that doesn't doesn't resonate in the same way like when i identify some moments through my background of rebelling against a different repressive
0: regime so no yeah and it's one of the glaring flaws in our coverage a lot of the time even though you know you've you've especially tried to educate yourself on it a lot and you try to bring that in when you can and when you think about it but you know it's a perspective that you you yourself struggle to to put yourself into because you know you're not a woman yeah. It's tough. But I appreciate uh, that, JK. Yeah, I do. I I I don't want to come down too hard on some of this stuff, but I don't know that I buy the statement that Simone is not a whore in any sense of the word. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, especially I, when as I was you reading... then go on to say that she's using her her sexuality as a weapon. Yeah, we're not saying uh, whore
1: in like the slut shaming sense of the word. We're talking about no. exchanging sex for favors and the goods. clinical definition of it. Yeah, like... yeah. And that's actually, I, that's the one quibble I had with it too, because I think you can make an argument that uh, she is. You know, she's she's trading the coin that she has for revenge against her father. Um, but, but but yeah, I, that's still a pretty minor quibble.
0: I do kind of appreciate if this is in fact what Noah Holly is going for, I do kind of appreciate that basement stuff that she's that's talking the, about. That's with Peggy. the thing that
1: I was really like, wow. That, yeah. yeah, like with these girly magazines, she's beating uh-huh. this big, strong, uh yeah.
0: almost comically butch man. Yeah. And and the stuff the other stuff that she says about Simone and uh trying to become empowered in this world that is kind of holding her back. Yeah. I, to- I totally get it. I also like the idea of like Peggy is not college educated,
1: but she, by reading these magazines, she gets this, like, what did, what did they say? It was a disease with no name or the problem with no name. Like, she knows there's a problem, mm. but she's yeah, not educated yeah. enough to actually arti- – she doesn't have the dialogue and, and the words to articulate it. But she just knows there's that she needs and wants something more, but she doesn't know necessarily what that is. Sure. And also, it's like if I'd add another piece of commentary, I imagine that a magazine at the time – who, you know, if you've watched Mad Men, you know that they're largely these advertisements and these things are being crafted by men yeah. are telling her that, that the things she's missing out on are these vapid commercial material things, that these are the things she needs mm-hmm. to be fulfilled and less. And, and ironically, she's trying to go to some other source of spiritual enlightenment also ran by a man that's a scam, and a, a, a scam at at best, a cult at worst. Hmm. So yeah. she's just she's just fucked on all fronts, man. <laughs> Yeah. It's a tragedy. Yeah, it is. Uh, So Jonathan L. wanted to talk about a lot of Miller's Crossing parallels, which I'm going to save for next week when I've seen the movie. And I can actually – two two, two things I'm skipping. Number one, I'm about to watch this movie in two days. I didn't want the spoilers. Uh, And two, uh, I would just be like, yeah, okay, sure, Gabriel Byrne. All right, I got it. So I'm going to save the email for next week and hope it's, it's still relevant. I imagine it will be uh dan g said in case no one else has chipped in on this mike milligan's quote in french as lou burst in was from the french revolution and louis the he says it 14th no 16th, 16th speaks yeah. to the loyal duke in 1789 and is being informed the french people had stormed the bastille and the king asks is a rev- revolt and he says no sire it's a revolution which leads to the whole revolution science monologue miller milligan's finger rotation which is brilliant but also makes a nice point about being in total power, the Kansas City or the Gerhards, and watching it crumble around you just like Louis XVI. Yeah. Uh, the Sixteenth.
0: Yeah. The
1: the same's
0: happening to Mike though too, right? Well no, that's what he's saying. Like, it's, like it's, it's everybody.
1: Wherever your center of power it is, that's that's falling and even like, you know, larger macro sense, America itself, is a superpower that felt like in the seventies it was starting to crumble.
0: Yeah, I get the sense of this overreaching feeling that Lou's talking about from Kansas City, not necessarily from the Gerhards.
1: You say that's also another uh, American foreign war commentary that, uh, Hmm. you know, this policy of stopping the Soviets' expansion and communism's influence anywhere uh, has set the table for a lot of the problems we're having today. Perhaps. I don't know. Uh, So there you go. That's all the email we got this week. Well, not all the email. It's all the email that I read this week. There all the go. email fit to read. No, don't want to guess. I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying some some people had the same thing, and just a like guy beat, beat him to ah, it. And, okay. Um, but yeah, Fargo at baldmove.com. Some of it was pure
0: shit, and he didn't include it. So there you go. <laughs> edited,
1: edited uh, for content and time. Okay. Like like they say on the movies, okay. they show on ABC.
0: It's a better way to say it. Uh,
1: yeah, Fargo at baldmove.com and Forums.BaldMove.com. Uh, Jonathan L., I'll see you next week in the feedback section. You're already fast-tracked. We'll see you next week. Elrond, we'll see you when I cross the the, the Silver Seas into the Undying Lands. (laughs) I'll join you with Frodo and
0: whoever. And we'll see everybody next week, hopefully, Uh, next Wednesday. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye.